Father in heaven, even this morning as we come to look at your word in Proverbs, the first chapter, Lord, the beginning of wisdom, we ask, Lord, that you speak to us, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, only your words and your words remain in our hearts and our minds to search us, to test us, to try us and to know us, Lord, that we might be transformed into the likeness of our Lord Jesus. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I began just now with a little talk about who Solomon is. And I need to basically begin with this whole thought of who Solomon is. Solomon, for better or for worse, was known as a person who was very wise uh, he is said to have written Ecclesiastes. He has contributed many psalms, but the Proverbs are said to be attributed to him. And Solomon, in spite of all his uh, good and bad failings, uh, knew what was right. And one of the things he talks about is in particular what we say in this particular text. Uh, I'm just going to ask Claudia, can you do me a favor and go back to the scriptures, uh, the text, the song show? It says there in verse 1, just keep following me from there, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. It's very important to see that the book, the entire book of Proverbs is intended to be for gaining wisdom and instruction. Uh, if anything, uh, Fathers, mothers, grandfathers, uh, grandmothers, or those of you who have oversight over children, it would be well worth your consideration if you are trying to teach your young ones, particularly young adults, and most particularly young adult men. The book of Proverbs is specifically written for you. It is intended to be taught by those who are elders, Elders meaning those who are further on in the journey, those who have eaten more salt. They are intended to basically teach the young ones, guided by the Scriptures, what life is all about. And Solomon goes and he says, this is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Next verse goes and says, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior prudent behavior. Now, one of the biggest challenges I find in the educational system is that whatever you teach your children in the education system now will be obsolete and utterly useless in seven, eight years' time. Uh, when I first started work, uh, when we were in the line of computing, my friends would say, don't be an IT consultant. And I said, why? He brought me to the office and he showed me all the manuals that he had. He says, I have to read all these technical manuals, how the operating system works, how the database works, how the mainframe system works, how to program and all the coding languages. I need to learn that. But within 18 months, a new fatter book will come out and I have to read that. It's constantly learning new stuff. And so whatever we teach 
our children now, in terms of information and facts, are most likely obsolete, except for maybe sejarah. <laughs> and even the sejarah we teach sometimes is uh, obviously twisted <laughs> to a particular perspective. So what Solomon is particularly interested in is prudent behavior. Because behavior is not about information or facts. Behavior is about attitude. An attitude and an approach towards learning, for example. Doing what is right and just and fair. Now, let me put it very clearly to you, brothers and sisters. If you look at the world now, the world is very intelligent, very smart, and very knowledgeable about what is ethics. But it fails in doing what is right, just, and fair. We know it is wrong. We just don't do what is right, just, and fair. And if you look at the history of all the leaders we have, we have supremely intelligent people. And might I say this, if you take the example of uh, Bill Clinton, President of the United States of America, most powerful human being maybe for a period of time in the United States, Rhodes Scholar, passed through Ivy League universities, most intelligent, most qualified, but did he do what is right, just, and fair? Now, I'm not saying that he's an evil, corrupt man, but we all know that he fell at a period of time. He had an affair, the Monica Lewinsky affair, and from that, we know that intelligence is no indication of moral rightness, justness, and fairness. So the difference between education in the school and what the book of Proverbs tries to teach is the difference between knowing what is right and doing what is right. What is the point of knowing what is right if you do not do what is right? And mind you, in our Asian culture, our Asian culture believes that if you know what is right, and if you are a bright and intelligent person, you must be a good person, which is absolutely not true. Doing what is right, just, and fair. Let me move on to the next verse. Giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. You notice these are characteristics, attributes, character formation. It is not the accumulation of information. You remember last week, if you were here, our Pastor Gauri was saying, you know, most of us, when we study, we study overnight, <laughs> and then for the next two hours, vomit everything out onto the paper. And our educational system thrives on that. Score your 10 A's, your 10 A1s, by regurgitating everything that you have learned but are they of good character? Do they do the right things? Can they analyze what the problem is and do what is right? And the answer is generally no. We have seen this as a part of our whole system of life in Malaysia. People know what is right, and yet they do not have the courage to do what is right. 
Move on, please. Verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And this is an appeal to you. I assume it's talking to you. I'm assuming that you are wise. Because if you're not wise, then this doesn't apply to you. But if he's referring to you and says, let the wise, you, my brothers and sisters, add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Get guidance. For those of you who discern, let the book of Proverbs be a guideline to get more wisdom and to add to those who come after you. Verse 6. For understanding proverbs, parables, the sayings, and the riddles of the wise. To understand the mysteries. Now, let me point to Jesus here. Jesus primarily taught 70 to 80% of his teachings in parables, mysterious sayings. And when his disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you teach them in parables? Jesus refers to a prophecy in Isaiah. And the prophecy in Isaiah says that listening, they would become hardened. Why? Because do you realize that sometimes the truth hardens people? When you confront a person who is doing wrong and you tell them what you are doing is wrong and evil, there are two things that can happen. Some of them feel convicted and they say, yeah, you are right. I need to change. And they redress that. But some of them, on the other hand, go the other different direction. You shut up. You get out of my way. I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to kill you. It hardens them. So the purpose of parables is to give truth, but the truth may either harden you or the truth may lead you closer to God. And the book of Proverbs is intended to help you to decipher and understand these parables for the sake that you might be saved and not hardened. Verse 7. This is the one that comes to what we would call the beginning of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, uh, the Bible describes a fool very clearly in biblical terms. A fool is not stupid. A fool, in fact, can be a very intelligent person with many degrees. The biblical definition of a fool is one who denies God, who ignores God, and despises wisdom and instruction. They are arrogant. They will not listen to what you have to say. They will not receive instruction. In fact, you try this and they will trample all over you and chew you to bits and spit you out. That is the definition of a fool. And so fools can be very dangerous. It's not that they are stupid. They are very intelligent people and they use their intelligence against you. Now, Claudia, can you switch to uh, my slides now? Thanks. That is all a preamble <laughs> to verse 
8 and 9. So verse 7, which we just left uh, just a short while ago. Uh, let me make sure that I've got this on. Proverbs verse 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, really important for you to know this because in the book of Proverbs, the beginning says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the end of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 30, right at the end, says the same thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If I were to basically present to you something which if you forget everything else I say and you just remember this, it is this. The one most important lesson that you can impart to your children is to fear the Lord. It is the one and most important lesson that you can pass to them. It is a very difficult lesson, but it is the only one that will help them to overcome the challenges of life. Now, so the ultimate wisdom that we can pass on is about God. It is the fear of the Lord. Now, uh, the Jewish term for this fear is one of reverence, actual fear, real fear of God. You know, you fear those who have the power to destroy you. Jesus said as much, you know, do not fear him who can take away your life, but instead fear whom, him who can destroy your soul to the uttermost end. And so the fear and reverence of the all, fear, reverence or awe of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, wisdom taught by elders, us, the wise, and received in the fear of God is the primary goal for your human life. It is what is intended to help you to live life well. It is wisdom that tells you adultery is wrong because it has gone through the salt of pain. I've yet to meet someone who has gone through adultery, come out and say, I came out better for it because of that event. They might come out and say, I'm stronger now, but no one comes and says, I wish I could go through that again. <laughs> they all talk about experience of wisdom. Proverbs 1 verse 8 is where we come to this big issue for today. Now, remember, Solomon, wisest man, writes this book that is to pass on wisdom from elder people to the younger ones, especially young men. And then he says this in verse 8, right at the beginning of the chapter, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Share my son, your father's name. Most important thing. Can you imagine Solomon saying, most important thing, and I got to put this right at the beginning of the book. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hear my son, your father's instruction. I mean, mothers and fathers, uh, if you want to write something that's important, that's probably right at the top of the list, right? You put it right at the top or right at the end. And what is right at the top or right at the end? Beginning of, beginning of 
uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Right at the end, beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Immediately after that is the second most important thing that he will tell you, listen to your parents. That's how important it is. And we often like, I uh, don't want to listen. It is pretty much the most important thing for us to learn wisdom. Now, you may not realize this, but as chaplain, I will tell you that most of the difficult children that we have and deal with are often children that come from broken families. They come from families where the father is absent or both the parents are dual income. Mind you, I've also seen really good children who come from single parents, whether single mother or single fathers, but they have worked really hard in order to cover all the bases. Why is this particularly point? It's my first point. The family is God's basic school for character formation. The family, in particular fathers and mothers. You are the basic unit for character formation. I have to repeat this many times. It includes grandparents, grandma, grandpa. Seriously, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, right, it tells you, teach them to your children and to your children's children. Who are those who have children's children? Grandparents. So Moses is talking to the grandparents. Teach them to your adult children and your grandchildren. The Lord your God, the Lord is one and you shall love them with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. So the family is God's basic school for character formation. Now, why, why do I have to say something so basic like this? Because even in Malaysia and in many parts of the world, it is the government that will tell you, leave the teaching to us. We are the ones who have trained teachers. We are the ones who have all these people who set up the education system. And many parents will quite happily give their children over because the government has also told them, go and work. Both of you, you need to chase this kind of lifestyle. You need to have your double-story, triple-story bungalow or whatever or live in this super high-rise condominium. Sacrifice all these things. Don't worry about your kids. We will sort them out. And the most difficult children that I have to deal with as chaplain are ones where they will not listen to their teachers. They will not listen to anyone because at home there is no authority exercise over them. They will not even listen to their parents because the parents have abdicated their responsibility. Those are really difficult situations to deal with. It hurts particularly when they will not trust anyone because they have failed to see this exercise in their own family. So, one, it is the father's instruction and the mother's teaching. And now some of you automatically, it's like, what's the difference? Huh? <laughs> what's the difference between instruction and teaching? They're two different Jewish words. But the instruction has a harder uh, framework to it. The term instruction in its uh, literal meaning would also mean guidance, discipline, correction, rebuke. 
So instruction means to specifically tell the child to correct them, to walk with them, and show them the skill, how you do this. As a parent, I often have to tell my kids, I want you to do this. Then I have to show them how to do this a few times. Then they have to do it while I am there. And after a while, they do it and I just watch. That's instruction. Correcting them and maybe scolding them too when they go wrong. But what is different about a mother's teaching? A mother's teaching is one who comes alongside and teaches, this is how you live your life. One of the most important things that, that my children are learning is how to survive when we are not around. How to prepare your meals, how to uh, make your bed, make sure you don't live in a dump, make sure you have clean clothes, know how to cook a meal. You've got to learn how to cook a proper meal so that your girlfriend will like you. <laughs> I find most girls can't cook nowadays. <laughs> but it's a mother's teaching of a, man, of, a, of a children how to live their lives in a household. Trust me, most men don't know how to run a household. Most men do not know. They can run companies with a thousand staff, but they can't run their household. You know it when they ask, Honey, where's my socks? <laughs> Father's instruction, mother's teaching. Second point about this, it is a shared responsibility. I'm stating it very, very duh. Of course, it's a shared responsibility. But you realize that many families, the husbands or the mothers, leave it to somebody else. They leave this teaching and instruction to the grandparents or they leave it to the teachers. They don't spend time talking to their children. Do you want to know how true this is? The statistic shows that on average, particularly in the US, a child only spends at most 20 minutes with the parents, talking to the parents. If you really think about it, go back and think. I'm not asking you how much time I'm spending with my child, just physically being there. I'm asking you how much time are you spending actually talking? and communicating with your child about things that matter. Prudent behavior, character, knowing between what is good, right, and just. To be honest, this past one week has been priceless to my wife and I, Kim, because we had spent a couple of hours each day talking to our children about the nation. They were interested about elections. I explained to them the election process. I explained to them the difference between opposition, our political party systems and all that. And I'm telling them, we are a minority in a majority nation and the things that you learn may not be true. So you have to test what is right, true and good and not just blindly swallow everything. That is what the elder is supposed to do. Uh, husbands, uh, men, ada cakap sama. Have you been talking to your children? I know it's hard. When I talk to my parents about politics, they get all upset. 
But I talk to them not about the politicians. I talk to them about what is the truth. And they have also tried to figure this out. And trust me, parents can also learn from their children when we ask the right question. So it's a shared responsibility, brothers and sisters. It is something which we need to work together. And it's particularly important in our midst, especially when you encounter single parents. It is hard enough to bring up parents with a husband and wife fully running at 110%. It is even harder when you are the only one. And so if you see in your midst brothers or sisters who are working at this alone, come alongside, help them where they can. It is necessary and needed. We have many single-parent families in Malaysia, not just within our faith. Huh? You just have to look at other faiths and you see some of them, many, many single parents. Thirdly, it is an enduring legacy. It is something that is left behind for others. It is left behind for you that your children are your jewels, the things that you leave behind. And so how much work you put into it will demonstrate uh, what it is for the future. Uh, many women that I talk to, particularly my friends in uh, Klang Valley who are pursuing careers, find it a big juggle. Do I work or do I stay at home? If I stay at home, what about my identity? Who am I? And some families live through their children. That's also not particularly good. That's not very healthy either. But whatever it is, the children that you bring up are a legacy of who you have been to them. Let me move on. Children are called to submit and not forsake their parental instruction. You find in verse 8 and 9, it says there, uh, when you listen, they are a garland unto you. It is a precious adornment. So do not forsake your parental instruction and teaching. And for those who listen and obey, there is a promise of reward. A promise of reward. I don't know what it is, and it's not prosperity gospel. The Bible just says, when you honour your father and your mother, and in particularly, since I'm referring to mothers, when you honour your mother, because your mother is the always, at least for me, my mother and my grandmother were always the behind-the-scenes people. They were always there waking up. They were always there preparing the meals. They were always there uh, getting stuff done. I recall as a child, uh, it wasn't my dad who would wake up early. Not to say that it's a mom's role. It is whoever who can wake up early. At the moment, I'm the one who wakes up early in the family. But as a child, I know that when I went to school, my mom would actually wake up at about 5, five o'clock. She would prepare a meal for me because my activity was I finished school at 2 o'clock and at 2 o'clock I would go across town for some training. It was a sports-related thing. So there was no lunch and we weren't filthy rich. So she would prepare a packed lunch for me almost every alternate day. And to prepare a packed lunch is a lot. Many men know that your time is precious. Time is money. Half an hour, one hour, 
I used to work in a firm where one hour chargeable was about $2,000. If you're a senior partner, then one hour was about $2,000 chargeable. But what is it worth when your mother spends one hour or half an hour to prepare a packed lunch for you? I didn't appreciate it then. <laughs> I would look at it and say, Alama, <laughs> rice and burger again. But it's only as I grow older and I have my own kids, I realize that is half an hour extra sleep. <laughs> that is one hour waking up earlier, knowing full well that I probably went to sleep at about one o'clock and two o'clock after closing up after everything else. And they wake up and they had to go to the market or to make sure that they had all this food. We take all these things for granted. And so today, my friends, I want to bring you back to remember. To remember the actions of your wife, your spouse, your mother, your grandmother, how they cared for you and the things that they did for you. Have you considered your shared responsibility? These are things for you to go back and think about. What is your shared responsibility? Will you speak to your children as the elder what they need to learn about prudent behavior, about what is good and just and fair? Do they fear the Lord? Have you responded to the call to honor your father and your mother and to be a cause for gladness and joy to them? Uh, the text in Proverbs chapter 22 refers to the children are a joy unto their mother. Righteous children are a joy unto their mother. Of course, to the father as well. So will you honor your parents by being righteous people that make your parents proud of you? And thirdly, will you go and encourage others as mothers or children of mothers to bless one another. I'm going to end and just ask Claudia to play one clip, uh, the Mother's Day clip. Uh, and whilst we're watching that, maybe you want to give thanks for your mum uh, or, or your children can give thanks to their mum or their grandparents and uh, maybe give them a call, spend time with them, honour and revere them. There is sound.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we remember that when you were on the cross, you turned to your mother Mary and your apostle John, Lord. And you committed your mother to John and you committed John to your mother that the duty and responsibility to care for your mother would continue on. Even with your dying breath, you gave us an example of how we ought to honour and care for our mothers. And so we pray, Lord, that you help us this day to remember the gift so wonderfully given to us, Lord, of our mothers. We pray also, Lord, for those who are wounded and hurt by the absence of a mother in their lives. We pray also, Lord, for those who are wounded and troubled, Lord, by the thought that they might not be able to be biological mothers. And yet at the same time, Lord, you call us to provide a mothering care over all who are in our community. Lift us up, Lord, that we may consider how we might honour our mothers and how we might mother others, Lord, for your glory. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in response.